Bonjour, hi, this is Christine Laliberté, the host of the Handy Ladies podcast. I am so honored to have Lori Sitar as our first guest for this podcast. As you know, or you may not know, or you're going to learn more about her, she is a monument in the North American performance dog world. Lori is a highly respected worldwide greyhound breeder. She is a licensed lower coursing judge for the American Cytohound Field Association, ASFA, the American Kennel Club, the AKC, also for the CKC, the Canadian Kennel Club, and the United Kennel Club, the UKC. Lori is licensed to judge for obedience, rally, weight pulling, nose work, an all-breed confirmation show. Lori is the author of the rule book for the Canadian Amateur Racing Association, CARA. She wrote the rule book for the United Kennel Club coursing event. And she had developed the coursing aptitude program, CA, that is licensed by the United Kennel Club, which means that the coursing is open to all breeds. And this program has subsequently adopted by the AKC, the CKC, and ASFA. So the community thanks her for all that hard work and dedication. In addition to judging all over the world and in North America and in Canada and writing rule books, Alori had opened a multi-facility on Oxford Dog Sports near Woodstock, Ontario. She ran this business for a few years. Now she is relocated to the west part of Ontario and had created PAC, Paws Academy of Chatham, Kent. We will talk about more about PAC later in the episode. Lori is a mentor for so many of us in the dog community. She's known for her ability to help anyone to better understand their canine companion. So I had the privilege to meet our first guest on 27th of February, 2021 at the Fargo Ridge Border Kennel where Lori teach obedience classes. So enjoy the show. As a little girl, when Lori lived in Toronto, she had a very special pet. Let's see what she has to say about her monkey. We didn't really play games with him, but he was free and he was trustworthy off lead. So we took him outside. The apartment that I grew up in had a ravine out behind it. So he liked to go tree to tree. In the, in the tall trees. He liked to come in the playground and play with us. He liked to go down the slide. He liked the swings. <laughs> so we played with him, but we really didn't play games. Okay. You also have shown goat in agriculture fair, did you? Yes. Uh, you have uh, shown in a ro- royal winter fair. Yes. 
we had purebred registered alpines and oberhasli were the two breeds we had. We showed them at all the uh, local fairs. We traveled quite a bit. We modified our van to carry the goats, including the Royal Winter Fair. Wow. So how is the difference between handling a goat and a dog in the show ring? Is it similar? It's similar, but the, the goats are not on lead. They have a collar. They're led by their collar. But you are both judged on your conformation and movement, the structure. I have to admit, having had greyhounds for a number of years before I got goats, I had a little trouble adjusting my mind to the fact that goats are described as graceful and elegant. <laughs> yes. Good point. And when you show goats, dairy goats, the correct attire is white. You dress all in white. Same as showing dairy cattle. Oh. The purity of milk. So did you have goat uh, for the pleasure to have this as a pet or you use the milk uh, to feed greyhounds? I had a litter that the mother was very ill, a litter of 12 that we had to, we almost lost her and, and we had to 100% bottle feed 12 babies and it was winter and we were very limited in the goat's milk we could get and we spent an absolute fortune between goat's milk and Semilac, the baby formula. We were mixing those 50-50, and I thought, no, I need to have goats. I need to have my own goats. <laughs> okay. So being as I was involved in purebred registered show animals, I did have a friend that showed goats. So as soon as we got out to the country, I ordered my first couple of goats from her, bought show-quality goats, and that's how we get started. first greyhound litter in 1976. Yes. Which characteristic of this breed that you were drawn to? When I got my first greyhound I already had Afghans. So immediately the lack of grooming and the trainability and the fact that they cared if I lived or died. The 40 years that you've been breeding greyhound, um, what, your, uh, what was your approach in your breeding program? I don't breed for anything. I don't breed for coursing or for show. I breed greyhounds. And I consider that each dog has four individual parts. Conformation, performance, temperament, and health and longevity. And so I breed for a complete dog considering all those four characteristics. So we have listeners who are new to the sports, and I wish to know more about the story behind the lower coursing, and um, also because you're a very important community builder of this sports. So can you tell us about the stories in your area, when it began, the year, where, um, and um, when did you start coursing at, at your farm? Well, I wasn't involved in the start of lure coursing in Ontario. I was living in Florida and was lure coursing right about the time ASFA was formed, which is about 45 years ago. Uh, and we did have a place that we coursed there. I moved back to Canada in 1981, 80, 82, and there were already a few field trials then, so we were a willing participant. 
and I ended up starting clubs and getting involved and, and helping with the spread of lure coursing in Ontario because I felt it was important. We held them at our farm uh, beginning in 1995. Oh, okay. Up until, from 1995 until 2020. Okay. And back then it was only the Canadian Kennel Club who was... No, actually back then it was CSFA, Canadian Sighthound Field Association, before the CKC took it over. Oh, okay. So it was something more similar to ASFA. It was the Canadian equivalent of ASFA. Oh, okay. And then, and then the CKC took over. Oh. Like ASFA's original goal was to get AKC recognition of lure coursing. And that kind of went south, but the same was in Canada. They worked to make lure coursing acceptable to the CKC, and it was eventually and became a CKC event. Okay, I see. So, um, you also, um, on your website about straight and oval racing, uh, so it was in 1996. Yes. That you, um, so is it the 25th anniversary? Of Kara, I believe it is. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, how, how again? How you decide? Okay, it's worth to at, start. At that time, we were holding uh, Ligra straight races and Notra oval races. Okay. But at that time, the rules were such that uh, whippets require Notra whippets required a considerably larger entry, and that entry just was not there in Ontario. The areas where it was strong, they had no problem getting entries. And then Ligra allowed some breeds to run and not others, and the Whippets wanted to do straight racing, and so we, a bunch of people got together and talked about how we could take the things that were important to our competitors and the, the issues that we had with rules from the other organizations. And we were actually one of the first Ligra licensed clubs right okay. when Ligra started but uh, within a couple of years we switched to our Cara Canadian okay and like I think racing is super excited yes I'm just always a little surprised like how the entries can be low yeah and I don't understand why there's quite a number of reasons for it. Personally, I like ovals better than straights mm -hmm. because straights involve a whole lot more walking. Yes. And if you've got multiple dogs, you're really going to log a lot of miles in a day of straight racing. Um, it's also more intense. The dogs are closer together, and there are some dogs that, that, that will tip them over the edge into aggressiveness. Mm. There are a number of dogs that lure course just fine, but show aggression when they're raced because of the intensity of it. Mm, okay, so then, yeah, that's a good, a good point. Do you think we should have a special gala this year if it's the 25th? Yes, that would be a... Yeah, it'd be fun, eh? Yeah. Yeah, we can make like... Um, if, if, if we can get back to having full race meets. Yes, oh well, I'm working on it. <laughs> okay, cool. In 1997, when I start coursing, I remember seeing that slick blue coat greyhound just pounding with grace and elegance and outstanding everyone on the coursing field. Her name was Lakilani Forever in Blue Jeans, call name 
Dana. Let's have Lori talk about her in our next segment. She is the number one all-time greyhound in uh, ASFA. She's also the number one all-time greyhound in CKC and CSFA, with the equivalent of a field champion eight. Wow! Um, and an LCM seven in in the states. So, why do you think it make her like so, like such an amazing athlete? A couple of things. One is her heart. She was a workaholic. That's all she wanted to do was lure course. She would ignore live game to lure course. That was her intent and focus. She understood that being first was what mattered, and she had the heart to drive herself to beat other dogs. The second thing was she really had an amazing shoulder layback,、mm. which is the single thing that contributes the most to agility. And she knew how to use her body. And used it very effectively. She could outturn a whippet.、Mm. Yeah, she was amazing. Do you see one of your new offspring, like dog, has the same shoulders and that same stamina and that same desire? Yeah, they have the desire, and I've had other dogs that、um, rivaled her abilities.、Um, Maddie was one, and Tull is another. Okay.、Um, who is just single-minded, determined dog. Tull will never move as far up the rankings, and Denim will never be displaced as number one because entries are so much lower now than they were when she was.、Mm-hmm. They just can't collect enough lifetime points to do anything but move on to the the bottom of the top twenty. So I. I think denim being number one is going to be semi-permanent.、Hmm. Forever blue. <laughs> Our guest Laurie Sutar. I've been invited as a guest speaker at the first Greyhound Congress in Norway in 2017. She also been asked to judge in Ukraine. So let's hear about what Lori had experienced in Scandinavia in Eastern Europe. How was your experience in Scandinavia? It was wonderful. It was wonderful. We stayed with some people that were fabulous hosts. I got to meet a lot of. There was far more European representation at the congress than American, and I know most American greyhound breeders. So I got to meet a lot of really interesting people and listen to some really nice panel discussions. Not to mention, it's fun to travel. Yes. <laughs>、uh, you also judge in Ukraine. Yes, in So it it was really nice because I got a ton of pictures, and it was just a year before the the riots and the fall of、mm. Kiev. So all the things that some a lot of the things that I saw no longer exist. A lot of the buildings and statues and and all that. But I'm a bit of a foodie, so the food was fabulous. It was closer to the way we ate 50 years ago. The grocery stores and stuff had very little processed food. It was mostly ingredients. 
sour cream was tangy. Uh, the pierogies were to die for. And I had told my hosts, I don't want to go out anywhere fancy. I want to eat at the kinds of restaurants you would eat at every day. And that's what we did, and the food was just wonderful. What about pastries? I didn't see a lot of pastries. No? Hmm. And, and didn't, we were so busy doing touristy things that I didn't have quite as much time to shop as I would have liked. <laughs> Maybe it's, it's a good thing. <laughs> Is one of this trip uh, Caitlin? Caitlin went to Norway with us. Yeah? How did she like it? Great. Yeah? yeah. That's a great experience. To and and we, stay, we were invited to stay with some people, and they were fabulous hosts. They, they showed us lots of touristy things, and was also a wonderful cook, and again, that just makes the trip perfect. But we got to try all the native dishes, or all the traditional dishes, and I gained 15 pounds on that trip. <laughs> Caitlin is Lori's granddaughter. Not only she traveled with her grandma, but she also helped to get the puppies used to be around children. She's now a very grown up girl, but we thank her for all her support in the training. So you have traveled all over North America to attend to all kinds of dogs performance and confirmation show in the last 50 years. Yes. What was your most surprising states or province yet you've seen? When I first started campaigning denim, um, I had a grooming shop so we, were, we could only travel on Sundays. It was a big deal to take Saturday off. So it limited how far we could go for shows and trials. And, and then I decided to start taking Saturday off. And I was very surprised to discover that Pittsburgh was actually closer than Ottawa, which I'd been driving to regularly. So we started going to a lot of the trials in Pennsylvania as well as New York, and then gradually it got further and further. Oh. Okay, what is your worst road incident? Well, over the last 25 or 30 years, I would have to say mechanical issues and there's there have been a few we lost a transmission the other side of chicago and had to come had to hire a flatbed truck to drive us all the way home um oh we actually blew a transmission in another van in uh, on our way to st louis managed to limp back to dayton and spent three days in dayton while they uh, rebuilt the transmission there's been a few weather incidents. We managed to uh, run ahead of a tornado coming home from Ohio. And in Georgia in 2018, we were right behind a tornado. Yes. And, and tracking it on the, we were at the show down there in Atlanta and we're tracking it and it just missed us and crossed I-75 just above us, so when we left the next day, we got to see all the damage yeah, from the tornado. Because you stop in Kentucky yeah, yeah, on Illinois. your way back, and then, yeah, that's, that was a scary thing. What is your best truck stop? Uh, not necessarily. A, well, okay, the, the best truck stop, there was a gas station we stopped at in Nebraska that was fully outfitted, including having a bidet. Hmm. 
No. First time I've ever seen one of those in a gas station <laughs> washer. They're also our very first trip out to Wyoming. We discovered a wonderful little espresso shop in a trailer in rural Nebraska out in the middle of nowhere where you could get great coffees and the when we first started going out there there was you went miles without rest areas there was nothing and the coffee was truck stop coffee and for a Canadian that's just an insult and it was it was like a mirage to find this little espresso shop right on the side of the highway <laughs> that's cool and what is your your favorite place to stop to get sweet pastries Oh, that's easy. Sweetwater Donuts in Kalamazoo, <laughs> Michigan. However, I'm a bit of foodie, so I can tell you the best places to eat on all of my regular routes. Not just desserts, but for the, the best uh, Philly cheesesteak I ever had was in New Jersey. And I make a point to stop there all the time. The, yeah, there's all kinds of little specialties. I love to go to the stuff in upstate New York because there is a fabulous Thai restaurant there. Oh. That, and it's walking distance from the Red Roof. So that's where we always go. I've, since we've had the trailer, I've kind of gotten out of eating out a lot. Okay. But we still manage to drive by those places and get lunch mm. on, our, on our road. Yeah. I, I, it's like the gorilla. I travel restaurant to restaurant. No, the gorilla was, uh, is in, um, Sydney, in Lincoln, Nebraska. Oh, And the gorilla yes. has very good food, too. We always stop there. There's lots. <laughs> <laughs> they don't need to go to McDonald's. Westminster Kennel Club Dog Show is an all-breed confirmation show licensed under the American Kennel Club. This very prestigious event is hosted in New York City since 1877. More than 1,200 dogs are presented every year. The people who bring their dogs there, it's a big deal. They know what they are doing, just like Lori Sitar does. So one of your road stops was in New York City because you have been invited to the prestigious confirmation show called Westminster. How was your experience? Intimidating, magical, exciting, rewarding? It's a one-of-a-kind of experience. The, the glamour and the glitz and the hype and the presentation, everything is very well done. It's very elegant. It's very... It's really cool. They, the downside to New York City, um, I mean, it, it's so much fun. It's something everybody should do once. You have to be really serious to do it multiple times because getting around is difficult. Parking is difficult. There, there's crowds that you can't imagine. Because it's a bench show, you have to stay all day and they, you have a release time where you can leave so that you're on display for the general public. Um, and there were buses from the piers back to the hotels, and there was hundreds of people waiting in line for these buses. So once we were released, we stood in line for over two hours. With your dogs. With your dogs and your crates and all your stuff, just to get on the bus and get back to the hotel. Oof. 
So it is, it's very tiring. I mean, walking around New York City at night is fabulous. And there's so many good things. They make it worth putting up with a lot of the aggravating things about no parking, no grass to walk your dogs. I mean, it, it, it's a challenge. Wow. I can see. And you win a nice... Uh... We, we won select dog. That's really nice. Yeah. Do you think you will be invited again? Well, or with the pandemic, dogs now? are invited. The top five dogs in each breed and confirmation are invited. But beyond that, it's also open to entries. So that's not the first time I've been to Westminster. That's actually that was the third time I've been to Westminster, and it's like for me, once every ten years is enough. Okay. Because I, I have fun with it, but then I, I'm not anxious to do it again the next year. Okay. This year, Westminster is moving to an estate. Um, out of town, so it's going to be a whole different ball game. Hmm. It may so now look- it'll be an outdoor. This year it'll be an outdoor show. So it may lost a bit of its glamour. It, it's on a private estate, or what was a private estate. It's very breathtaking. It's beautiful. They used to hold shows there years ago, but haven't. But it is a, a privately held property, so it's going to be. It'll still be impressive. Mm. Why are you a strong advocate in demonstrating the versatility of your greyhounds? For me, the important things are, uh, and again, as part of my breeding program, confirmation and coursing. Whether it's, it's open field or lure coursing. Lure coursing is a lot easier to get to. Those are the important things. And I, I expect my dogs to be successful in that and prove that they're worth breeding. All the other things we do are just for fun because I like to do stuff with my dogs. And at some point somebody said, you can't do that with a greyhound. So I have the honor of having the first titled greyhound in all kinds of bizarre sports that you wouldn't expect, including the the first draft dog titled greyhound, uh, the first weight pull titled greyhound. So some of that has been a challenge, and, and greyhound training is a little different than, than traditional, more malleable breeds, but they certainly have the desire to please, and they're relatively smart, easy to train. Sometimes it can be a challenge to convince them to do it your way, instead <laughs> of what they see as the more logical way, which is not in the rules. But uh, no, they're... The rest of the things are just fun to do. I, I enjoy doing stuff with, with my dogs. Anything you do with your dogs beyond coursing it goes a long way to build the bond. When you're obedience training or doing nose work or anything, it just strengthens the bond between the dog and the handler. Mm. Like now in nose work, Sherry is like one of the top Sherry was the first greyhound to earn her elite novice or the elite nose work title, which is the highest level that UKC offers. She is halfway to her master's level title in AKC, which got stopped because of COVID and the border. Mm. So hopefully soon we can get back across the border to finish it. In the coming up directly behind her is Lincoln who has now also finished his elite nose work title and to be the second greyhound to do it. And he's coming right up behind 
um, Sherry in um, AKC? From what I understand, nose work has so many steps, a bit like in Taekwondo and yes. in belts, is, is very Yes, by, by the time you've got the elite title, you've earned 20 plus other titles by the time you get oh. to the top. Because there are elements, and each element is treated differently. It's containers, interiors, exteriors, and in UKC then vehicles, and AKC has buried to mimic cadaver, the work cadaver dogs do. So there are four different elements and five different levels. Oh, wow. So you have to earn a title in each element at each level. When you finish all four of the titles at one level, you earn that title, that level title. So if you finish all four novice titles, then you get novice nose work. So then you continue on working up, and by the time you've finished all your elite titles, you've earned the elite nose work. So now I have two dogs with elite wow, nose work. Wow, that's quite an achievement. Yeah. Have you tried agility? Oh yeah, I've titled a bunch of dogs in agility. Oh really? Yeah. Oh. Blueberry, Maddie, Hero, they all had agility titles. Oh, I remember yeah, seeing that picture of Hero coming out from the, the tunnel. Like, from the tire, yeah. Like an explosion. Yeah. Your wedding venue. Yes. So you and Dave got married on a coursing field. Yes. How did you find a venue? Like, how was the reaction of the person you approached? We, we just you... asked the club. We would like to get married on the field. Could we get married after the trial? And they said, oh, that'd be fun. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so is the um, person who married you had to have a special <laughs> training or a special... We, we did use a minister and he did have a sense of humor. And he was quite willing to come out in a non-traditional way. And as it turned out, he had a husky, and he brought his husky along ah, to the, nice. the wedding as well. So it was like a pet-friendly wedding. Yeah, oh, yeah. that's cool. <laughs> so you have a long career as a dog fancier. What achievement are you the most proud of? Probably the number of dual champions that I have produced. Um, proving that a greyhound can not only look like it's supposed to look, it can perform like it's supposed to perform. And I've had top-ranked dogs in both, both ways. The epitome probably of that is Lincoln, who was in the top five in both confirmation and lure coursing the same year. Mm. So he did really well. And that and all the joy that my puppy people have, that, that I'm able to provide them with a dog that is healthy and long-lived and is not going to be in and out of the vets. And breeding sound pets is really the ultimate. And when I place a puppy, it really doesn't matter to me if they're going to show it or not. What I want is the dog in one home for its entire life and making those people happy. Mm. You make me happy. <laughs> so you recently relocated in Chatham, Kent County. Yes. Um, so you have uh, start uh, the Powell's Academy of Chatham, Kent pack. So tell us more about your latest project. Well, this is my 
third retirement. Okay. Hopefully I'll get it right this time. <laughs> so we're not looking at doing big things. I'm just teaching a few classes. We'll hold a few events. Not uh, Absolutely not interested in getting back to full time again. So we're just dabbling. I, I like being able to help people with puppy classes. I get them started on a lifetime of a good, good working relationship for their whole lives and preventing dogs from ending up at the pound because they're not trained and teaching people a little bit about how dog training works so that when they leave the class they can go on and teach the dog anything they want to teach it. Okay, so be more like local and... Um... Yeah, I mean we are going to continue to offer some events um, but primarily what I'm doing is teaching classes both pet and dog sport classes. But you, you also have a big role in um, mentoring and helping. Yeah. Like when I had questions about CARA or UKC, you're always there to help and educate. So it's... The dog sport community is really a wonderful, supportive one. And I'm quite happy to help people in any way that they can, whether it's just as pets or as dog sport competitors. And, and I do encourage even my pet classes to go on and look into sport competitions and do something fun with their dogs. I've also always encouraged um, rescue and adoption groups to encourage their people, their adopters, to participate in something. And it doesn't really matter what it is. Um, there is one Greyhound adoption group in the area that places retired racers that part of their contract is the owner is not allowed to do anything with the dog. They can't, they're not allowed to compete in anything, they're not allowed to do anything. Um, and I think that's such a waste because if you can take a dog and an owner and put them in an obedience class or a rally class or a nose work class, that builds a bond between that dog and that handler and that dog is never going to be returned. He's never going to be dumped off at another shelter. He's never going to be returned to the adoption group. He's there for life because they've worked through their problems. They're enjoying doing stuff together. So I love to see, it doesn't matter whether it's a competitive class like rally or nose work or, or dock diving or any of those, or whether it's just doing pet therapy and visitation or trick dogs. Any of that stuff builds the bonds between the human and the dog and ensures that dog has a home for life. Mm. Well, thank you, Lori, because you are for amazing. You do contribute to the um, dog community. And I've met so many people who said, oh yeah, I went to Lori's place and now I'm, I got involved in obedience and coursing and yeah. shows or just have a yeah like a better relationship. It, it was a lot of fun in the when we still had the farm to do the try it days where we would have four or five different events and you needed no knowledge of it you could just come with your dog and for five dollars you could try barn hunt or nose work or agility or weight pull because there was people there to help you get interested and see what your dog liked you didn't have to commit to an eight-week set of classes, or you could just go try it and see what was fun, what, what you and the dog enjoyed. Huh, that's a good idea. Maybe yeah. we can try something like that uh, at my farm one day.
This is Lori, what she has to say about her fourth retirement. Also, like there, there's not a really strong dog sport community here yet. Yes, there yeah. used to be, and and a lot of people moved away. And there are certainly people here that compete, but it would be nice to build a strong, cohesive community. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Houndies Lady Podcast. With your host Kristen Laliberté, and you've learned more about our guest Lori Sitar. One of our future guests is Lori Colson. She's the American Sighthound Field Association data keeper, so we'll know more about behind the scene of all these coursing events. And our next guest is Katie Stoyles. She's an entrepreneur, an artist, a UKC judge, and an amazing human person. Stay tuned and please subscribe to the Healthy Ladies Podcast.